morning, Mikhail. I wanted to have you on the Automate Construction Podcast today to talk about your work founding the 3DCP Group in Denmark. Yeah. Uh, let me just start off by saying I'm very excited to be on your podcast. Uh, I know several people in our organizations are a, a big fan of you and uh, of your work. So, so this is going to be exciting. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's cool to be in such a small niche. My videos are all about 3D printed construction. So when new groups start printing houses, uh, doing great job, like with Saga Architects, your, some of your projects, they're really nice. I can't wait to talk about them. You went kind of outside the box instead of going for a square wall design, created yeah. something original. Yeah. But before we get to that, what made you jump into the 3D printed housing world? Yeah, so uh, be to be perfectly honest with you, I'm still not sure if this is uh, genius or if it's if it's dumb. Um, oh, this is going to be a great conversation today. Yeah, <laughs> I guess time will tell. Um, I was uh, at a birthday party with some friends of mine um, about a year and a half ago, and we were talking about the construction industry and how it hadn't really moved along in terms of uh, efficiency and output. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at this graph, which has become my favorite graph by now, um, of how the efficiency in different sectors had improved since the 1950s. And we could see that uh, in the agriculture sector, uh, efficiency had improved by 1,600%. Uh, uh, and in the construction industry, it had improved only 10% in the same time. Wow. So that told us that we need something radically different, uh, both in order to increase output, but also to make housing affordable and available to, to everyone. So, uh, so the discussion uh, went and uh, uh, we started talking about 3D printing and was this even possible? And a few Google searches later and we discovered Cobot International, which is based in Denmark. So, so we reached out and, uh, and then it just took off. Yeah, absolutely. And so the first print you did, being located in Denmark, that's also where the Cobot headquarters is, which is a great convenience for you. They have international customers, uh, but to be located in the same country as your print supplier, I'm sure there's a lot of synergies there. Did you purchase a printer from them? Yeah, yeah, we did. We purchased a printer. Uh, actually, we just purchased a printer uh, for our very first project. Yeah, thank you. It's a um, Big investment for a group of, uh, of young guys. Um, but for our very first project, we, uh, we actually borrowed a printer from them. Uh, we borrowed a crew also, and we even borrowed the land uh, where we, we built the prototype from the local municipality. Yeah, a lot of people are very jealous of that. People contact me all the time. How do I borrow? How do I rent a printer? It's, I don't want to say impossible because you did it, but it's... Yeah very unlikely because the stars have to align. There has to be a printer that's not being used for some period of time in your area uh, that you can either pay or have some opportunity for them to take advantage of. How did you convince them to let you borrow it? I mean, I still, I still ponder that. And to be honest with you, the amount of luck involved with our entire process is mind blowing. As mm -hmm. you say, it's, it's, it's like the stars have aligned for us. Um, Henrik, the CEO of, of Cobot, uh, fortunately took a liking to us and especially to Sega Architects, which is a part owner of 3DCP Group. And uh, I guess they see 
strategic importance of having uh, not only the 3D printers produced in Denmark, but also a entrepreneur using them uh, in Denmark so they can more easily, I guess, show their clients uh, our projects. But uh, that being said, I don't think uh, they will ever let amateurs uh, borrow a printer again from them. Um, but fortunately, they, they did for us. Well, you're not any more amateur than their other customers who get their first printer for the most part, because it's such a new industry. That's true. That's true. Um, that being said, I think many of their customers are like have experience in conventional construction. Uh, which none of us did. Like we, we were all uh, straight out of uh, university and uh, young, dumb, and uh, really ambitious. So uh, when you look at the printers they've sold in America, the printed farms guys didn't have so much construction experience besides having some properties, uh, buildings built on their own properties, and the Alquist guys didn't have any traditional construction experience. Um, it's almost, I'd say 50-50. Some people have a lot of 3D printing experience, not construction, vice versa. Uh, and I think everybody feels like they're jumping into something very new once they start printing. So the, I guess Cobot gave you the training before they let you mess around with the printer. Uh, yeah. And did it take a while to get the hang of? It did. So uh, I think not as much the printer, but more the material that we were yeah. using. So one of the, the terms of which we were allowed to borrow the printer was that we were to be a testing ground for a concrete batched on site. So our prototype is the first uh, building ever made with real concrete and not the, the ready mixes uh, that was used in prior projects. So, so we had the, like local sand, local gravel, local cement, and then some additives and it took us about two to three weeks just to get the recipe right. And we actually had to fly in a guy from uh, Switzerland uh, just to help us get the recipe. Uh, but once we... From Zurich? What? From, from Zurich or from... Yeah, from yeah. There? From, uh, from CMEX, uh, oh. yeah, the partner of Cobot. But once we hit the recipe, it, it, the house really shut up. Like we were able to print about 80 centimeters uh, per day. Which nice. is quite impressive, yeah. And the house is how tall? So I guess at the highest point, it's just around five meters tall. Uh, the thing is with the 3D printer, once you have it installed, uh, the material is so cheap that it makes sense to just build really tall buildings. So did you have any say in the design uh, in terms of preferences or something or did you just go to saga and say we want a really cool 3d printed building and we know you can do it that was uh, all saga yeah cool they did a great job i would love to have their architect on the podcast as well uh to follow up on the design of this project but let's talk more about the construction of it was it permitted traditionally in denmark uh yes the the permits is uh the same as if it was like traditional brick and mortar. Um, and in order to get those permits, uh, we had to do hidden columns in the wall. And actually 60% of our print time was used uh, or spent making these columns, which are not important to the structural integrity of the building, but solely uh, to comply with building regulations. 
So, so once regulations are up to date, we, we would be able to have a print time of this 37 square meter building of only 10 hours. Yeah, to the engineers, it's important for the structural integrity of the building, right? Yes. But they're not recognizing the structural integrity of the printed concrete yet in the regulations, unfortunately. I, I think that'll be a step in the right direction when and if it happens. Uh, some people think you need rebar in concrete, and so it can't be structural without rebar. We'll see how that uh, comes to fruition, but you really saw the bleeding edge. It's not easy to be innovating, right? Exactly. There's, there's a lot of hurdles. Uh, fortunately, there's a lot of advantages also to being first movers uh, from uh, people pitching in and, and are willing to help. Uh, with regards to the rebar, we actually made a partnership with the PPCD and PP Nordica, uh, who are experts in, uh, in fiber reinforced concrete. And their engineers helped us uh, getting a recipe for the concrete where we were able to, to do the, the columns uh, without using steel, but just using fiber reinforcements. Very nice. And so yourself, Saga, is there uh, more partners in your group? There is, there is a big control uh, and engineering company. And then there are some investors uh, in order to, to fund the party. Very nice. That's a good mix of experience. Uh, I'm sure the investors maybe are more seasoned in terms of startups and maybe business operation in Denmark specifically. Uh, what are your plans? You printed that first house. Um, have you printed a second building yet? Not yet. We have several uh, projects on our drawing board. Uh, we have a, a challenge with the societal readiness level for this. Sure. I guess the, the perceived risk uh, from the customer uh, and the actual risk in the construction, there is a discrepancy uh, in there. So people perceive a larger risk with uh, choosing a 3D printed uh, building. So we're trying really hard to combat that. Um, that being said, we have a exciting project, uh, hopefully launching uh, next year of uh, student housing in cooperation with the local government here. And also we are drawing currently on some vacation homes that we hope start to start building in two months already. Very nice. I personally see more risk in a printed home. Uh, I guess, partially because there's just less of them so when you have uh, less of something completed it's more risky and especially since it's usually the first in the region uh, mm. nobody has experience with it so all of the contractors working on the project for the windows the roof the slab the electrical everything going in the printed house even the finishings inside the house uh, the cabinets the appliances uh, working with a printed house for the first time there are differences and uh, it's not a risk that can't be overcome. Of course, I've seen a lot of 3D printed houses, people that can accomplish it. But I've also heard about a lot of projects people wanted to accomplish that didn't come to fruition. So there certainly are, there's risks, from my opinion, and the real risk seems to be cost. Uh, if everybody wants 3D printing to deliver uh, all in a cheaper construction was that your goal? That is, 
the long-term goal, yeah. We want to bring down the price of construction and we want to give the customer complete uh, architectural freedom of the, of the design. Uh, however, we're not there yet. Uh, as of right now, we believe that we are kind of on par with the conventional construction. Uh, however, once we get the, the issues such as the, the columns, uh, the concrete being uh, accepted as being load bearing, uh, then we will be able to bring down the cost quite significantly. And also, I do not believe the, the right way to go about it is to just have a single printer and print a single building. Uh, the thing is, this technology is extremely scalable. So you don't need to double your crew whenever you double the amount of printers. So it would make sense in the future to, uh, whenever you're doing larger projects, to put up maybe five or ten printers and, uh, and have a centralized crew operating all of them. Very well said. I asked the question, I guess, in the past tense, which was foolish. The question really is in the future tense of when uh, it becomes dramatically more cost effective. And we'll, I think it'll be very obvious when that happens because it'll be explosive. Um, yeah. Every contractor will be knocking on the doors of these companies to get these printers. Uh, but to get there, as an early adopter, you were talking about some of the ways you have been helped. Uh, how can you go into more detail about that? Yeah, so so when we built our prototype, uh, as, of, as we already talked about, we borrowed the printer, we borrowed the land also from the local government. And we were given, uh, from the time we, we approached the government saying, can we, can we build a prototype? And until the printer was on site, was only five weeks. And uh, within those five weeks, we had the house drawn, uh, projected, uh, we had it, uh, got the building permits, everything. And we also managed to find about 30 local partners who all chipped in. So we got uh, free electrician work, we got free kitchen, free uh, flooring, ceiling, windows, uh, manpower. So like, I think we're tapping into some sort of fascination with the future uh, with this technology. And it really is uh, like the first time you experience uh, the printer firsthand and you see it on site, it really is quite a mind-blowing experience. Because when everything works, uh, there, it's basically five guys looking at a robot that's building a house for you. Um, so yeah, fortunately, there was a lot of... Uh, good people willing to help us along and uh, who see a potential in this uh, technology. Yeah, it's easy to imagine the huge value of a robot that can build a house for you while five people are watching. Um, and I think people see the potential of that. And that's why they're willing to go above and beyond and donate their time, resources to help this, maybe just out of understanding how great it could be for humanity. Uh, that exactly. deep down, people just know uh, construction should be automated it's cool to see um and this specifically for the house you printed to talk about cost parity it would be so hard to get somebody to build that house traditionally you'd have to ask 10 contractors and nine of them would tell you to go screw yourself yes exactly yeah that's true uh, the thing is with the 3d printer the price of building a straight wall a curved wall or a wavy wall it's all the same. The printer doesn't care. But if you want to get a guy like a mason with the brick and mortar to build a curved wall, he's going to either kill you or charge you the hell out of you. So um, 
so yeah, that's that's it, the technology really opens doors uh, for doing like uh, organic shapes. Uh, we're looking now into doing patterns and structures into the walls, uh, mimicking the landscape. It's uh, like the the opportunities are are to be explored because uh, we are still in the very very early days of this technology. Yeah, definitely, and it has a lot of growth, and it is growing. Uh, it seems the the cost parity i think there's a lot of things because you're getting the kind of help from the other companies it's hard to really get a true cost calculation uh those things yeah. are really useful right now maybe other groups that are the first in their cities or the first in their countries can replicate that strategy uh, but it's not scalable for like a thousand units or ten thousand or a million units uh we really need a lot more data going forward, but it doesn't have to be the cheapest method of construction. Like you're saying, you're trying different uh, designs and making it a premium product. Have you sold the house? What's your intention with the one you built now? Uh, there, It's a sad story. There has to be a parking lot uh, where we built uh, our prototype. So at some point it has to be demolished uh but it's still standing as of right now so so we try to to cherish it <laughs> as long as we have it um that being said uh, immediately next to the the prototype we have uh, reserved the land for a larger project that we hopefully will start soon that's good so the the government donated you the land just to use temporarily yeah yeah and we knew that going into it that this was sort of our proof of concept because you can imagine we we uh, we approached the government actually with the idea of building student housing with the 3D printer, and uh, they thought this was really excited. Um, and then they asked us, "Well, have you done this before?" And we said, "Well, no." Uh, so they're like, "All right, maybe you can show us uh, with a prototype that you can actually do it, and then if that's successful, we can have a talk about a larger project." Yeah, and so the next project. You mentioned you have a couple on the drawing board. You haven't committed specifically to one yet, or you know what you'll be starting next? Yeah, so uh, we will be starting some vacation homes. Uh, oh, you did mention that. Yeah, 11 units by the western uh, shoreline. Of units. Yeah. Uh, mimicking the where we we're going to work with structures or like uh, surfaces and mimicking the, the landscape around. We hope to start that in uh, about two months from now and then go as long as we can, as long as the weather will allow us. And then uh, next year, we hope to do the, the student housing, which will be 36 units. Good. It's nice to see uh, larger projects instead of just one house at a time. Will you be using the batch plant mixer again? Yeah, yeah, we will. Um, the, our printer is actually in the Ukraine right now building a kindergarten. Wow. Uh, and there we are experimenting with uh, some features in the batch plant that is uh, capable of adjusting uh, the ratio of sand and gravel and, and cement automatically based on how the weather is. Nice. Uh, yeah, and we hope that to be successful because uh, it really is quite challenging all the time having to adjust the, the mix. Yeah, that's true. It's a lot of attention. Uh, and it's just part of the innovation process. 
like when uh, people are building things from scratch or for the first time experimenting, sometimes it's held together with duct tape for a while before you figure out exactly where you want to put it and you then you screw it in permanently. So yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned duct tape because we uh, on our when we did our prototype, as I said, we were the first to ever do the, the on-site uh, batching and uh, you had to add stiffener to the concrete and that has to be added at the printhead. But there was no solution yet for attaching the the stiffener to the printhead, so we that was just duct tape. Yeah, it'll work. Yeah. So the it takes a lot of innovation and especially something big. The batch plant mixer is a whole new large piece of equipment in addition to the printing equipment. Um, but it's a part that needs development because the mixer pump systems are a huge headache. The hoses have issues, the material's not consistent all the time, you're constantly loading it. Uh, so what the batch plant mixer, I, what's the learning curve like on that? It's quite steep. Uh, and that's what we're trying to overcome with the automatic uh, dosing system. Uh, fortunately, the manufacturer of the batch plant is uh, located uh, about 30 miles from us also. So we have uh, their help at hand. Uh, but you're completely right. Like we had multiple cloggings of the hose. Uh, we had a sensor malfunction at one point of the of the batching plant, um, which was uh, supposed to dose the accelerator. And instead of dosing 200 milliliters, it dosed 20 liters, uh, which meant that uh, the entire mix turned to stone uh, inside of the mixer. And that took us like two days with just mm -hmm. a hammer and a chisel to uh, to clean it out. So there's a lot of little uh, issues that we're trying to solve along the way. I think every group can relate to you, hammer and chisel, at least one experience with. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, uh, there, Sebastian from Sega, he has a great analogy of where the technology is today. So I'm gonna, as I'm on your podcast before he is, I'm gonna steal it from him and I'm probably gonna butcher it too. But uh, during the industrial re revolution in the in about uh, what was it uh, 1780, uh, they built a bridge in England called the Iron Bridge with this new fantastic material which was cast iron. Um, and even though this material was new and fantastic, they had no experience building with it. So they had uh, carpenters uh, construct the bridge, which meant that you got wood joints made in uh, in metal so not a very efficient way of using it if you then fast forward a hundred years they had built the eiffel tower in the same material and they had learned to master this uh, material and where we are with 3d printing today is at the iron bridge so we're still learning how to 3d print um, we have to completely rethink housing and construction uh, and i think Hopefully we can master it faster than 100 years. I think if you give us 10 or 15 years, we're gonna gonna see uh, like improvements we can't even imagine today. Yeah, that's a good analogy. And humans are so much better at working together now in scale because of the internet and uh, online collaborative tools that, uh, yeah, I think it'll be much faster. Somebody can come up with an innovation that the whole world can see overnight. So it's a different environment than, I mean, after the Eiffel Tower was constructed, there were people who didn't know of its existence years later. Yeah, true. 
true like uh, with the internet the sharing of inf information is instantaneous and we are talking with uh, universities in south korea and in uh, south africa and we're talking with the uh, contractors in the united states and uh, and australia and because we're not infringing on each other's market geographically um knowledge sharing is uh, an obvious thing to do yeah really powerful thing it's like with joint group 80 and the um groups looking to i mean yeah knowledge sharing is tricky because there's things people want to keep private and they want mm -hmm. to have their own ip but the companies that are the contractors like yourself uh you don't really care so much about the printer proprietary technology. You just want to build houses. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've been talking to crane company in the United States and we've been talking to, I can't remember the name right now, but they're based in Australia of uh, like different solutions. Like how do you mount the, the windows the best way? How, which type of flooring is, because uh, you can imagine doing hardwood floors in a circular room is quite difficult. So how do you overcome those challenges? And uh, it's better that uh, instead of everyone reinvents the wheel, let's just have one person do it right and then uh, share the knowledge. The unfortunate thing is a lot of those answers aren't even useful if they're not regional uh, because the what might be the best option for the windows in the Middle East is unlikely to be the same as the best option for windows in Denmark. That's true. We have a really harsh climate here. So, so, and we have really strict regulations with regards to uh, to construction of uh, of load bearing elements. So, so those things we have to kind of solve ourselves. That's true. Yeah, they have a harsh climate there too. I don't know which is harsher, <laughs> the or the cold. Yeah, I mean, the we had a lot of issues actually with the with rain. Um, water always finds a way. Yeah. Uh, we found out the hard way um so so we've optimized quite a bit on our wall structures in order to to waterproof it interesting issues with rain after the print yeah exactly and i think it really comes down to again us being the first to use this material um so there have been a lot of laboratory tests but once it's in the in the real world uh, you get surprised sometimes certainly Pretty much every time things don't happen the same in the lab as the real world but uh that's why the early adopter work is so important the um the issue with the water coming through was that like permeability of the material or was the roof structure not waterproof enough yeah it was uh, it was penetrating the walls seeping through the walls as we had uh, i guess uh, two large pores and uh, two thin walls, uh, yeah. basically. So, so I know that now CMIX, uh, based on our data, has developed uh, an additive that you can add into the concrete, which uh, kind of seals it, and also a, a a treatment you can you can coat the the building in afterwards. And we tested that also on our on our prototype, and it one hundred percent solved the issue. Nice. Ideally, that can be duct taped to the printer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So the uh, the material you used was a regular concrete you mentioned. Was that full-size aggregate over two millimeters? Yeah, we used uh, up to one centimeter. Wow. Aggregate. 
Yeah. That's that's serious. That it is, and we did uh, we did a layer height of four centimeters and a layer width of five centimeters, and that's also quite. Uh, uh, we didn't know that at the t- at the time, but we learned that speaking to uh, to concrete uh, scientists that that's uh, it's amazing that we didn't see more cracks uh, when we when we build it uh, in that manner, but uh, we have basically no cracks in our concrete. Mm-hmm. And CMEX used their special 1% DFAB solution? Exactly, yeah. Cool. Uh, the aggregate, the larger aggregate, I'm just picturing a huge pile of rotor stators at the end of the project. Yeah. Uh, it. I mean, it basically was, uh, yeah they the larger aggregate rips up the rotor stators faster um i guess the issue with using larger aggregates is uh, if you buy them uh, as we did uh, very cheaply sometimes uh, very large aggregates will uh, will get in uh, with the smaller ones and we had a few host clocks uh, as a result of that um and those are quite tricky to solve um especially because with the with the defab solution the concrete hardens really quickly so it's you like we're talking minutes of the uh, the concrete being stationary in the host before you lose it uh, so we lost i think two hoses um due to due to the aggregates uh, being large and also you will see uh, by using large aggregates if you don't have the water ratio quite right. We saw quite a bit of segregation of uh, the material also. Hmm. Is that from the outer and interior portions of the hose or is that a different type? Where does the segregation happen? It's, it happens inside of the hose. Uh, so ba- basically the larger aggregates will clog up and it will only allow the water, uh, water and the finer aggregates through. And um, it takes, unfortunately, it takes a bit too long before you realize the issue. You realize that once you see that the, the pressure in the pump is at uh, 200 PSI all of a sudden. Uh, and then uh, fixing the issue is also quite tricky because uh, you cannot pump it out. So you have to, like we were using, these giant hammers and just uh, hammering away on the host trying to to dissolve the clock and then once you dissolve it uh, you have to make sure that no one's standing at the at the end of the host because it's going to shoot out like a like a shotgun yeah there's a couple concrete facilities with concrete on the ceiling <laughs> yeah the uh yeah it's a cool part that needs more innovation potentially the hose i know Cobot has some solutions like the high throughput hose that has uh, that's kind of less likely to clog because the hose has a higher diameter. Uh, but then you're using more material. So if you want to be the most efficient, the most environmentally friendly, it looks like their approach they took with your house was to attempt a really thin wall. Uh, there would have been a lot of efficiency if they could get away with that, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and with regards to the hose, just a small thing as changing the color of the hose. Uh, uh, from black to white reduces the amount of of, of heat uh, from the sun that the hose attracts and that reduces the the time with which the material hardens inside of the hose 
Wow. Uh, so yeah, we we know that in Saudi Arabia they actually cover their hose in uh, like reflective material uh, in order to, or and also even foam and like insulation around the the hose in order to to keep the temperature down inside of the hose. Cool. So you mentioned your group, you have some investors. Is that how you raised the initial funding to buy the parent? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, it's no secret that uh, all of us uh, were pretty poor uh, going into this. Uh, the Me and uh, my partner Hassan, we were straight out of university. Sega had only been going for a few years and was doing very conceptual work. Uh, I guess the engineers had some funds. Um, but we were fortunate enough to find the two investors with uh, several years of experience in the construction industry uh, who saw the potential in this and uh, and who were able to and willing to to fund the the R&D going on and uh, also of course the the printer very cool what did you study uh, i studied law actually so mm -hmm. i mean it was obvious that i was going to end up in construction right yeah it was obvious <laughs> construction 3d printing was just the obvious path yeah, of course. Uh, actually, I have my specialty is in, in uh, international tax law, so it's pretty far removed from uh, from the construction industry. However, uh, I just have a big fascination with the with the three D printing um, and with construction in general. So, so I guess you come a long way with uh, with passion, and uh, as you said, uh, it's new to everybody. Yeah. So I guess in some some aspects, it might even be an advantage. Uh, because you think out of outside of the box by default when you know nothing about the the subject matter, um, and then of course uh, Hassan, uh, my partner, he's a, he's an engineer. We have the engineering company, we have the architects, so we have some people in the organization that actually know about uh, about construction. But myself personally, I know very little. That's also why, whenever we get a bit bit technical, uh, I might say something that's like. That doesn't make sense uh so so take it with a grain of salt oh that's okay especially when it comes to construction there's really experienced contractors who don't know how to talk about the how the electrical works because they have a great electrician who handles the job and they trust to uh give a fair bill at the end of the day so construction is relationships based you don't know how to do everything yourself you know a guy that knows how to do everything uh and they're much better than you at it because they are very specialized in the one thing. So it's better that way. Yeah, exactly. And then I can uh, I get to geek out in the in the construction regulations and the and the contracts and the, and all of that stuff. Yeah, I was gonna ask with the legal background, does that give you a unique perspective on the regulations of printed concrete? I um, I guess it does. I mean, at least I know how to read the text. I know uh, I know which channels to go through in order to to have the appropriate changes made. Uh, I know how to uh, to communicate with the government, uh, there's different sectors of the government regulating this stuff. Um, so right now we're actually looking into how we can get the concrete approved as being load bearing. Because the concrete in our walls in the prototype is twice as strong as the concrete in the columns. Uh, but on paper, it's the columns that are that uh, provide the structural integrity. So the 3D printed concrete is in and of itself plenty strong to to support the building and the roof structure. Um, and the thing compression, is, compression, not tension. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. That's we uh, we're looking into solving that with fibers and uh, 
doing triple walls uh, placed in strategic places. Uh, but uh, we land in between two chairs in the building regulation. We land in between uh, precast uh, or in situ cast concrete and in between a, a stacking uh, construction like brick and mortar because we cast the concrete but in stacks like so so it's it's there isn't really it isn't really obvious yet which of the two uh, roads to to go down uh, but i think in the end 3d printed con uh, construction needs to have it its own uh, classification in the in the building code yeah it's true i i've thought about both of those comparisons but never simultaneously it's it's an interesting combination of those things there's no formwork uh, or it is the formwork for the column. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. So did you have any officials visit the printed building that you did in anticipation of uh, winning further permits in the future? Yeah, we did. Uh, actually, we had the, so for the, the student housing we're doing, uh, it's as it's a part governmental project, it has to go through certain instances where it needs to be approved um, and we've we're actually going on a tour with the uh, it's called the construction damage fund i think like if i try to translate it um, and you have to sign an insurance with them whenever you do a governmental project mm -hmm. so so we have had a lot of dialogue with them in order to have uh, to give them faith in this technology and the and the and the final product, uh, and we're going on a tour with them starting next month uh, to speak with the like social housing organizations uh, to try and and kick in the door uh, to that market, basically. Definitely, it's interesting. You started the conversation saying people are uh, they think it's much more risky than it is, and then we got into some of the challenges that I don't know that everybody foresees when they first jump into the industry, but they aren't challenges that are impossible to overcome. Uh, they are hard work though. It's not just clicking a button and walk and easy. Can you, now that we've reflected on all this, can you go back and revisit the, the risk comment? Yeah. Um, I guess, I, I mean, you are without a doubt running some sort of risk when you're you're the first client uh, or the first customer to this product right and the thing is that buying a house for most people is the largest investment they're ever going to make um so people of course want to be very careful of how they spend their money and if they perceive a risk in the, in this technology the advantages really have to outweigh that that risk quite a bit uh, that being the the unique architecture or the having something that your neighbors don't, um, and that's why having the seal of approval from this uh, these uh, from the government and doing governmental projects, we really hope that that's gonna dissipate a lot of the perceived risk. Uh, so that's why it's a high priority for us. It's not projects that we're gonna earn any money uh, doing. But it's projects that will uh, cement the the process and the technology as trustworthy uh, in the eyes of the public. Yeah, the real value you're building is the IP and the skill of your company. You'll be able to print more buildings in the future, and you'll be, uh, I think, the most skilled 
3DCP contractor in Denmark, certainly, if you complete 11 units, uh, yeah. has done that. Yeah, I mean, as, as of right now, we're the only ones, so it's it's not that hard to be the, the most skilled. Uh, but it is funny, right, that we've been going only for like a year and a half, and we have people reaching out to us, like um, education institutions, universities, um, other contractors asking for advice. Uh, and you get kind of the imposter syndrome, like, because um, they ask us how to do stuff and we're not even really that sure about how, how to do it. Um, but as we spoke about this, the learning curve is quite steep um, and we learn a lot uh, all the time. Yeah, there's very few people uh, in Denmark who would be more knowledgeable than you on how getting a house printed there. Uh, and it's crazy. Just a couple of years ago, you were a student dreaming up a 3D printed home company, but it's not an old industry. So there aren't people who have been doing it for decades. There's nobody who uh, has been. Uh, I mean, there's some printed homes that have been around for decades, but the people who have been doing it that long weren't patient enough to wait for all the innovations we're appreciating now, like the batch plant mixer is a fairly new development. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. What other uh, directions will you take the 3D CP group in? Do you guys have any beyond printing houses? Uh, is it going to be, you mentioned some countries beyond Denmark. Uh, what would you do internationally? Um, we don't really have international uh, ambitions at the moment. We really just want to get good at what we're doing here in um, in Denmark. Um, as we have Sega in our um, our circle of ownership, and they are space architects, there is a um, ambition, at least on Sega's part, of taking this uh, technology uh, extraterrestrial. So, so like, how do you, how do you build housing on the moon, right? There's, there's basically, there's three ways you can do it. You can either, you can either dig um, and do like cave structures. You can do origami-like architecture, which uh, Sega has also done. So where you like, you can fold it down and put it in a rocket and then uh, fold it back out once you arrive. Or you can, uh, you can pack a 3D printer on a rocket and, uh, with additives and uh, use the material you have on site. And regular. Uh, so, but I guess, I mean, I'm perfectly fine being on earth, uh, but I guess that is uh, some uh, possible end game uh, for us. Does Sebastian want to go to space himself? Oh yes, yes he does, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. I mean, if he gets the automation experience and he's particularly skilled in, uh, or just not even particularly, but specifically skilled in space design, I think he has a very good chance of going to space. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people that want to go, but the question is how many useful people want to go. So if he could yeah. be a useful person for them. Yeah, I mean, Elon on their earnings call yesterday was saying they want a million people up there to be self-sustaining. So he'll have a, a shot, but he was also saying it's going to be dangerous, deadly, glorious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it takes a special kind of, uh, of person to, to be willing to run that risk. Uh, but I have nothing but respect for it. I think it's, it's really cool. Uh, but to what get back you? to, would you I go? Mean, no, no, no. I'm, uh, 
I'm way too comfortable here on earth. Like I'll, I'm just going to stay here and, and run our company, I think. Um, but you were asking about what else can this uh, technology do, right? And we've had some quite interesting inquiries from everything from people who breed fish, like doing tanks, uh, also uh, doing uh, silos uh, for, the, for the energy sector. Um, there's a possible of possibility of doing uh, infrastructure. Um, we've seen people doing artificial reefs uh, for, uh, for coral reef reconstruction. Um, there's military uh, application possibilities also for this. Uh, we've seen furniture being printed and we even see Cobot doing the basis of windmills with the 3D printer also. Um, together with uh, General Electrics, which is quite exciting also. Yeah, that's a pretty cool one. We'll see uh, when they, if, if and when they scale that up. They've been doing a lot of testing for a long time. Uh, it's pretty cool. The, it's such a unique application. They have crazy print heads and uh, yeah. different solutions for it. I mean, and the Bot Excel printer, I'm sorry? GE is a huge company too, so it's good to see big players getting involved. Yeah, it's like I think it's the oldest uh, electronics company in the world, uh, and the Bot Excel printer that they built for GE is really quite impressive. I was fortunate enough to visit their offices when they were doing some some testing with it, and it has uh, it has two uh, two printheads where one printhead is not an actual printhead but works as a crane in order to uh, to apply the the reinforcement for the concrete, and it has uh, dimensions capable of doing. 30 meters by 30 meters by 30 meters structures. Uh, so we're like, this is next level. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, I just wish I had seen them do showing more of what they're doing with it. They don't have a lot of content about it and they've had the printer for years now. And uh, yeah, I gotta maybe interview them or snoop around something, figure it out. Uh, we'll see, we shall see what, what when do you expect to start the 11 home project? Uh, we hope to start it in uh, about a month's time. So Great. we're just finishing up the architecture right now. And they're going to be quite cool. Uh, and then we hope to get the permits through quite quickly before winter comes here in Denmark uh, and the, the conditions become uh, too challenging. Um, and it's going to be 11 units but uh, divided into two. So, so there's gonna be 22 living uh, units, um, two stories also. And I think maybe we're gonna try and do a 3D printed floor separation, uh, which will be quite cool also. We did that. We did the world's first uh, 3D printed floor separation in the prototype, but we used it as a roof instead. Uh, but the thought is, when you have an unconventional building uh, geometry, so organic shapes and stuff, uh, having a carpenter or someone doing a floor separation is going to be very time consuming and also very expensive. Uh, so the idea was to use the printer to do the formwork because uh, the printer knows the shape of the building, right? So we printed the outline of, uh, of the roofing section. Then we added the rebar we cast concrete 50% and then we uh, we hoisted it on top of the roof and placed the the pieces like a jigsaw puzzle and then uh, finished the the pouring of concrete and it worked uh, brilliantly and i'm i'm sure this is uh, 
an approach we're going to see used uh, plenty going forward. Why was that better than just printing straight up? Uh, so like, how do you think like printing, uh, pr printing a roof? So the roof that you hoisted was not printed. Yeah, we printed the, we printed the outline of the roof. Yeah. And then we added uh, reinforcement, some concrete. Yeah. And then we, we had like a slab out of that and we hoisted that on top of the roof or on top of the building to act as a roof or a floor separator. So you printed the formwork for the roof floor separator. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very cool. On site. On site, yeah. And then used a dual bond epoxy to join that to the top of the printed building. Uh, we we attached it with the rebar. Uh, as we had only uh, cast out the, the slabs 50%. We could drill rebar through the slab into the columns and, and then bend the, the rebar and then pour the rest of the concrete on top. So it's kind of locked in place like that. Yeah, that's a cool strategy. Will you repeat that? Um, in some way or form, yeah, we've thought about how we can optimize it even further. But but yeah, for sure, we, do, we want to do that. I think with regards to roof, uh, we have a dream of eliminating the roof structure completely from the 3D printed buildings. Uh, adding a roof structure adds a lot of uh, cost to the, to the building process and also a lot of uh, possible mistakes can be made in the process and uh, uh, water getting in and uh, how do you, do, do you seal it and stuff like that. Um, so our dream is to be able to print with an overhang so if you imagine we print the walls up and then once we get sufficiently, uh, the building gets sufficiently tall, we start printing with an overhang and then we close it around a rooftop window. Yeah, cool. There are some shapes you can print overhangs a little bit easier. So maybe uh, that would enable you to do a printed roof essentially, right? Yeah. So I, th I think right now we can print overhangs at about 70 degrees. Uh, without too much risk of it collapsing, but we really need to get to at least 25 degrees before it makes sense uh, to start printing the roof. But that being said, it might only be a year or two before the technology is at that level. 70 degrees, that's... Oh, like... 17 degrees, 17 degrees we can do Okay, right okay. Now. So yeah, like this. And to, yeah, and we need to get to like, I'd say at least 25 before it makes sense. Yeah. Sure. I mean, depends how big you're going. It's tricky to do a two-floor structure from the legal perspective. I guess you threw AC 509 in the trash. I'd love to see that. Uh, I'm sorry? <laughs> what? AC 509 has a bunch of... It, I think it's an American uh, thing, very old set up by Contra Crafting. It says you're not supposed to do two-story printed buildings according to that specific... Uh, outdated standard which has obviously been ignored multiple times in europe uh there's a lot of great examples of awesome printed buildings which are two stories yeah even three stories uh the one they did in wellenhausen in germany period did is uh, is three stories uh but they did two stories in uh, in beckham the one that's won a ton of awards a really cool uh, project and they did also uh, 
the university, I think in Belgium, Campsi, I think were the first ones to do a two-story building. Yeah. Um, the printer, once you have it installed, really just likes to, it's really easy just to keep going uh, in height. And then you utilize the volume of the of the of the building instead of the the footprint. So, you how did you conform to regulations for permitting if you didn't use AC five hundred nine? So, which uh, did you use any set of existing regulations, or did you use like trial by testing? Yeah. So so our uh, as we have columns in our building that's what uh, complies with the the static doc documentation so there's so, nothing new it's all conforming to the traditional yeah uh, it's vertical. basically uh adjusting the 3d print so it will fit existing rules uh, so the 3d printed elements itself is only the we call it the climate shield uh, so there's no load bearing uh, elements at all in the in the 3d printed do you think permit yeah. approval is one of the places the stars aligned? It seems like with something so new, if the people in charge didn't like it, they could easily say, we don't want you to do this. Uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we got our building permits in two weeks. Uh, I've heard. Ex yeah. Uh, but that's because we went to the to the highest place to begin with. We contacted the, the head of, uh, of the local government. Uh, fortunately, he is uh, he's an architect himself. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, from uh, educated in the, the United States, and he thinks this technology is, is really, really cool also. So he was able to pull some strings for us in order to have this, uh, this project uh, pulled through. And I think also the fact of it being a prototype, so no one was going to live in it, made it a bit easier um, to, get the, to get the permit through. Yeah, he, did he already know about Cobot? Uh, I don't think he did, no. Interesting. He doesn't know, that's for sure, yeah. Did he know about 3D printed houses? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think he did, but it, it, to be honest with you, it didn't take a lot of convincing for him to, to be on our side and to, to help us push this project through. Uh, we've been so fortunate all the way around, especially as you say, with the with the permits and with the the local government being willing uh, to help us uh, in so many aspects. I I can't believe the luck we've had, and I'm just I'm really grateful for that. Absolutely. What do you need now as a group, 3DCP group, to grow and expand? Um. So to put it plainly, we need to. Uh, to not screw up the, the projects on our drawing board, right? Um, we feel pretty confident that we have a competent team. Uh, we are confident in the technology. So, uh, so if we do things right, uh, and if we land the contracts with the, with the student housing, I think we're, we're in a really good place. Um, it's also very important for us to keep a good relationship with Cobot. Uh, and of course, also with the other 3D printing uh, entrepreneurs around the, around the world. Yeah, definitely. Your relationship with Cobot is going to be uh, ongoing because you will have updates for your printer and software, hardware, new material stuff. Uh, there should be a lot of fun surprises uh, along the way. The Are you fully committed to Cobot? Uh, yes, yeah, we are. We, we have a great relationship with Cobot. Uh, we know all of the guys in the office. Uh, 
we even see some of the of the guys privately as well. Uh, so so we have a great relationship with Cobot, and it really developed uh, over the time where we we built the prototype. We all uh, we were nine people living in the same house, half from our organization and half from uh, from Cobot. Uh, so I guess you develop uh, it's kind of like incubator vibe, right? You develop a, a bond when you work 18 hour days and come home, uh, drink some beers, go to bed, and then uh, do the, the same thing uh, the next day. So, so yeah, I would say that we are uh, quite committed to Cobot. Also, because we sincerely believe that Cobot has the, the best solutions. I used to know all the people that worked at Cobot when I visited uh, last year, but I, they fired so many people, I think it'd be half strangers now. <laughs> Yeah, and also they're growing so fast that they're they're adding new faces. So like every time I come to the office, there's a bunch of new faces there. Yeah. How many employees are there now? I saw a post, it was like maybe 70 or something like that. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think if you go a year back, there were half that. Mm -hmm. So so it's it's quite impressive. Yeah. Definitely. So they'll rely on you to uh show off in denmark what uh what the printing is capable of what other kind of people showed up to the printed house maybe that you didn't expect i mean uh, the day i counted most people i counted more than 50 uh spectators just looking at us uh, building and that was also quite an eye-opener for me because how many conventional building sites have spectators like we were talking about, we could have been selling hot dogs and beers out there and, and made a profit uh, for that as well. Uh, we had people who had driven across the country, even from neighboring countries. We had people who had driven from Germany to come look at us uh, print. So so this is just, it's uh, like, it makes me happy to see the, the amount of interest we get in this. I've had uh, people fly in from, from all around the world also to, to see our, our tiny house. I've had people uh, from uh, Chile, from Guatemala, Malaysia, uh, Australia, the United States, uh, all over Europe come to, to visit the house. Um, so it gives me belief that, that we're, we're onto something here. Yeah, if they duct taped a mini fridge and a hot dog stand to the machine, they could make a profit. Maybe yeah, for sure. That up, like a convenience... Uh, uh, set it all up autonomously so the spectators can buy food when there's nobody operating the printer yeah <laughs> so uh the did you put appliances and electrical and everything in the printed home the demo home you did yeah everything but plumbing mm -hmm. um uh, the plumbing was uh quite expensive and it, it would have been done the same way as you do conventional uh anyways but, but we did all of the electrical works, all of the insulation, all of, uh, like, it's basically a finished house. And did you make cuts into the concrete uh, while it was wet, after it dried? Uh, both. While, uh, while it was wet, we did the, for the electrical outlets, because uh, it's, it's quite easy that way. And we did quite a few cuts after it dried because uh, we ordered doors and windows in the wrong size. We ordered the doors and windows the size of the hole in the wall. Um, so we had to, to, to cut the wall uh, pretty much everywhere. But that gave us great insight to, to the way the layers bind together uh, 
uh, once we, we, we cut a cross section. And uh, fortunately, we see uh, no code joints whatsoever in between the layers. It's uh, perfectly uh, homogeneous. Interesting. Uh, even when between printed days? Uh, no, not, not in between printed days. We, There's another uh, solution for that. Yeah, like we do the, the elephant's foot uh, in order for the concrete to, to wrap around the previous layer. And then we have a sort of epoxy that binds uh, the two layers together. Uh, we have a really great solution for how to solve this uh, in the future, uh, where we are confident that we're gonna see no, no cold joints. Nice. No cold joints. Sounds like printing all at one day, but we'll see. Uh, sounds like a little secrecy there. So that's speculative for now. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing updates about that. Where can people get more information about your company or follow you guys? Um, so if, if you don't want to learn Danish right away, uh, you can follow us on our LinkedIn. That's, that's in English. Uh, but we have a website also that's uh, 3dcp.group. Uh, and I guess you can, you can translate the information there. Um, and uh, people are also free to reach out to me. I'm always happy to, to discuss this topic. And uh, also if, if anybody has a, an engineer or entrepreneur in their stomach, I'm happy to, to give advice also. Do you have any place with like digital media videos, pictures, stuff that breaks the language barrier? Um, I guess I guess our LinkedIn is, is the best place to go. There's quite a lot of pictures, quite a lot of, uh, of videos. Uh, and this is also the best way to, to reach us if, if there's any questions or, or additional uh, information. You guys got to get on uh, on TikTok and Instagram. You post enough videos, one in a hundred gets a million views. I know. I, I I'm. Uh, it's on the list. I I mean, I myself don't even have Instagram or Twitter, or uh, so I'm kind of. Uh, it's very foreign countries, uh, the social media for me, but uh, but it's on the list. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of you're talking about fifty spectators. If you have your phone with you, you can have a million spectators right in your pocket. And yeah, uh, that's true. It's a good thing for your business to bring in clients and stuff. So uh, I would highly recommend you take advantage of that, especially because it has that. How many construction companies get people excited? Yeah, that's true. And if, if anything, the fact that we did have that many spectators and people who were willing to drive for hours and hours to come look at us, uh, built this uh, 37 square meters house, it is quite an indication that there is great public interest and people find this exciting. Uh, and that's great. Uh, Cause as you say, how many conventional construction projects get people excited? It's not a lot. Unless you're that guy from the B1M, he seems to get pretty excited about the conventional projects still. <laughs> he has great videos. Uh, so is there anything we didn't cover uh, on this podcast that we, that we can, touch on anything we forgot um i guess it would make sense to bring on sebastian to talk a lot about the architecture and definitely has some some great ideas also for the future of of 3d printing uh and to be honest with you he's uh he's better at this uh, format than i am so so it would make sense to to continue the talk oh you sell yourself short this has actually been fantastic because you have such a unique perspective i mean you're not married to the 
the technology. You're not promoting it as like a overnight savior kind of situation. Uh, and you had your first experience printing a house. So you've seen the, uh, what it takes to be on the bleeding edge and yeah. you're sharing that. And it's been, this has been really insightful. And I mean, uh, you just reminded me that uh, we use cement. Like there's uh, there's a huge environmental spectrum to this, right? And we get a lot of flack for using cement, which is completely justified. Cement is one of the worst uh, climate centers uh, whatsoever we have. Uh, but I think it's important to look at the cement as a launch pad for the technology. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that in that in 10 years time, we are 3D printing, but we're doing it without cement. So in the meantime, we have to use this uh, climate center in order to become experts in the technology, and then we can adapt uh, to new materials afterwards. Yeah, I mean, four hours from now, certainly by the time this video gets published, uh, the a video I did with uh, Ron Real will be out. He's printing Adobe structures uh, in Colorado. And the cool thing about Adobe it solves all those environmental concerns because it's just dirt and straw dug up from the ground nearby clay. Wow. Some sand. Uh, another really cool thing about it. I visited his site and spent the day uh, watching them print at the end of the day, instead of a mad rush to clean up, they just take the hose and spray a layer of water on top of their mixer pump system with all the wow. adult in it. Yeah. And then they leave and come back the next day. And like the thin layer of water keeps it, the mud moist enough overnight. If it hardens, they just put more water on it. <laughs> it's so really? easy. Yeah. And how is that with the like structural integrity and with regulations and everything? Is there any issues there? Adobe is a really old building method. They've been using it for thousands of years. Some of the structures are still standing if they've been maintained. Uh, so there's a lot of existing code for Adobe structures and they're able to ignore the fact that it's printed and rely completely on the Adobe. As long as it demonstrates it has at least a PSI of, I think it's 60, which is crazy low. Uh, but with a PI PSI of 60, uh, they're able to have a permanent structure and their structure they're doing is permanent. So it'll be cool to see. It's just hard to convince somebody to live in an Adobe structure. Uh, certainly in Denmark and the United States, people don't want to live in a, a mud hut necessarily. Yeah. But I think uh, we're going to see some sort of iteration of that uh, in the future. We're cooperating with the university uh, doing some uh, limestone and hemp fiber uh, mixture that really suits itself for 3d printing and is completely carbon neutral as well mm -hmm. uh, so so that's just really important for me to to acknowledge that i know cement is not good for the environment and i know we're using it but uh, we are 100 percent certain that the this is just a launch pad for the technology and for us to adopt uh, carbon neutral materials yeah i have that philosophy too maybe it's a geopolymer maybe it's some other material innovation uh yeah the cement ideally could be temporary uh or maybe just reduced in how much cement is used maybe it's a much smaller quantity um it's hard to say but the material needs improvement i agree and the scalability of it the ease of use i think it would be 
maybe advantageous to use combinations of different materials. Did you feel the printed house you did was very homogenous? Yeah, yeah, and it also, you're right. It, we, I think the future of 3D printing is also some sort of hybrid structure, but because it becomes very much gray and gray and they can become almost bunker-like. Uh, we actually asked the military if they would like to come out and, and try and like throw a hand grenade into the building to see how it handles, right? Because, okay, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, right now we're using 3D print everywhere in our structures because it's new and it, it's exciting and it's cool. But I think you really have to optimize it and, uh, and look at hybrid solutions where you combine it with, with wood or other construction elements. Yeah, wood is tough to print, but if you could have another element, I mean, it doesn't all have to be printed, of course. It's more about the design at the end of the day, but I appreciate what you're saying about you're trying to print as much as you can because you're, you just got the printer, you're excited, you want to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's some really beautiful rammed earth buildings. Have you ever seen stuff like that? Uh, not like extensively, but uh, I have browsed through it, uh, yeah. Those are used sometimes just as like a feature wall, not a whole home. I always think that's really nice. Uh, maybe Adobe, I don't know. It has a lot of insulatory value. So that's useful for an exterior wall versus an interior wall. Uh, I don't know. Are there any other materials you'd like to see people experiment more with? I know there is a company here in Denmark uh, experimenting with waste plastic doing uh, tiny homes out of uh, waste plastic and added uh, with the uh, wood fibers. Um, I have some concerns, but I also see the, the potential in it. Uh, so it's quite exciting to, to follow their development. Is it flammable? That's the thing, right? Uh, it's gonna be an inferno if you get caught in there. Uh, and also, like with water erosion and microplastics, there might be an issue there that you have to take into consideration. Uh, but I think the idea is great of turning waste into, uh, into homes. Mm -hmm. To make sure you're not ingesting the microplastics, right? Yeah, exactly. The concrete, is it perfectly safe to live in after it's printed? Yes, yeah, and we had the, we've had multiple tests done on the how the the indoor environment is in the, in our prototype, and it's it's amazing both from uh, from a, a point of air quality, uh, from uh, acoustics, uh, which is quite surprising actually when when we have concrete walls and concrete floors, uh, but the acoustics is is really great in there, and I think that's due to the to the rough texture of the walls, yeah. I don't think so. I think it's due to the curvature of the walls because most of the printed houses I'm in have terrible acoustics. Yeah? Yeah, most of my the house tour videos I do, the echoey reverb, uh, it's fine once they're furnished and there's carpet drapes around furniture, but when it's all concrete, the, the audio is really bad. I don't notice in person, but I notice on video afterwards. Yeah. Wow, that's that's quite interesting. Yeah, we had the they do the I forget what it's called, but they do the official test that they have to do to to every home, and the, this was done in our uh, building without any furniture in there, and it came back as basically being a music studio. Like the acoustics were amazing. Wow. Yeah, um, but 
it might be due to the curved walls. Uh, it would make sense also, yeah. I'm surprised that you, if it is due to that, that you wouldn't know. <laughs> like Sebastian <laughs> probably would tell you or maybe not. You're making me excited to get him on the podcast now. Yeah, yeah. I think you can have a good talk about that. That's for sure. Yeah, that's the sound thing is really unique. Uh, so what about cracking in the walls? Did the large aggregate help reduce cracking? So this is uh, the first, the, I'd say the first meter or so we printed, we printed without any fibers. And we actually, we saw cracks within the first 10 minutes and we were watering it and we were like, and it was bad. Like it was, it was cracking through uh, several layers and, and quite wide. Uh, and there was, we tried a lot of stuff that first day and we really didn't know how to solve it. So when we came home, we, uh, uh, we brainstormed on the issue and we got these uh, these angel hair fibers uh, and we mixed that in. I think we mixed in uh, about two kilos per ton uh, in our batching plants. And after that, we didn't see a single crack. So wow. that was really like a miraculous cure for, for the cracking. And uh, the building has been uh, standing now for well over a year and there's still not a single crack in the in the parts where we use the fibers. Wow, it's been a year. That's uh, time flies. Yeah, it really does. Cool. That's a good solution with the fibers and two kilos per ton doesn't sound like very much. No, it's and it's quite cheap uh, fibers to use. So, so we're really happy uh, that it worked out because to be honest with you, when I was looking at those cracks and we were watering it and they just kept getting like, they kept coming more and more and they became bigger and bigger. I thought this is let's just pack it up guys this is uh this is not gonna work uh but fortunately we found a solution really quick uh and we're gonna stick to that so do you see yourself sticking around with 3d cp group for uh the next 10 years 30 years uh is it a, do you have I'm an exit plan yeah i'm not leaving uh i i love this i love this uh i love the work that we're doing i love the r d uh, I love to follow the the development. I see great potential in this. Um, this is uh, I'm doing the the right thing uh, for me. Uh, so I see myself sticking around until either it becomes really really big or uh, or we disappear somehow. Or you send Sebastian to Mars. Yeah, yeah. Would you keep going without him on Earth? Maybe you'd have to keep running the business here. He'd start the Mars operation and you'd continue the Earth operation or who knows how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll base him up there. That uh, that makes sense. Cool. Well, we covered a lot of interesting topics today and left a lot on the table to cover in the, uh, the next conversation with Sebastian. And then I'd like to do an update with you too once you finish the uh, 11 units in Denmark. I'll be in Europe in 2023 so maybe around that time uh maybe i'll be there towards the late spring of 2023 do you think it'll be done by then um i think by that time i think we're we're just about to start the the student housing project cool uh, so i expect to have uh, completed uh, a good handful of the of the vacation homes yeah and i'll be i'll be happy to show you around all right awesome yeah, we'll see how that timing works out, but I'll definitely be visiting Denmark while I'm there. And uh, how far is uh, Holstebro from from Copenhagen? 
I mean, uh, nothing in Denmark is more than four hours away in car. Uh, yes, small country, yeah. I'm about to drive from Texas to uh, Ontario. It's like a 30-hour drive in a, few, a couple of weeks. Uh, that would be like from Denmark to Italy. <laughs> so I think it's further. The 30 hours can get you, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Europe's a lot of fun. I can't wait to go back. I intend on staying for six weeks so that I can properly visit more companies. Last time I only visited a few there were so many I didn't get to, I didn't have time for. So I'll do it a little differently this time. And uh, yeah, I'll certainly try to stop by. Maybe we can do the next podcast episode in person. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're welcome here anytime. That's for sure. All right, Mikel. It was nice to meet you and stay in touch. All right. Nice to meet you too. And uh, thank you for the talk.